February is recognized throughout our nation as Black History Month. At the North Carolina Justice Academy, we not only join in this celebration, but use this podcast as a method of spotlighting African-American law enforcement leaders. Hello, and welcome to this episode of NCJA 1014. I'm your host, Kirk Puckett. Being a police chief can be an often daunting task. There are the usual challenges. Personnel, budgets, and lobbying elected officials for competitive pay and equipment for those under your command. As an African-American, the road to becoming a law enforcement leader can be added to the list of daunting tasks. It is indeed an honor to host one of North Carolina's outstanding African-American law enforcement leaders, Jason Armstrong, the chief of police in Apex, a post that he has held since August of 2021. He is a self-described husband, father, son, friend, brother, and then the police chief. On this episode, I'll be talking with Chief Armstrong about his personal experiences as an African-American law enforcement officer as we continue to celebrate Black History Month here at the North Carolina Justice Academy. First of all, Chief, welcome to this podcast. Thank you for carving out some time from your very busy day. I'd like to get things started by asking you if you'll just give us a brief rundown of yourself and your law enforcement career that's brought you to where you are today. Uh, yes, sir, Kurt, and uh, thank you for, for having me. Um, so I, I started my career in Georgia um, with the Forest Park Police Department, which is in Metro Atlanta. Uh, and I spent the first 17 and a half years of my career down there um, and, and working at that organization, you know, started as a patrol officer and, and worked my way up through the ranks and, and ultimately became uh, the first African-American to hold the position of lieutenant, um, first African-American to hold the position of captain, first African-American to hold the position of major. And I also served a stint as the interim police chief in that organization. Um, and so I had, you know, vast experience uh, in, in that organization, and that really launched, you know, my, my career. Um, so the success that I had in Forest Park uh, led me to being appointed the police chief in Ferguson, Missouri um, in 2019. Uh, most people in law enforcement are familiar with Ferguson, Missouri from the 2014 officer-involved shooting death of Mike Brown um, in that town and the, the unrest that unfolded um, after that incident. So I went to Ferguson in 2019 to work on the reform efforts there. Um, and I was there for two years. Then in 2021, the opportunity uh, came open here in Apex and an opportunity for me to come back home to, to North Carolina, you know, where I grew up. And, and I was blessed to, to be selected for this position and, and have been back here in Apex serving as the chief here since 2021. When you got back to that beginning that you talked about, what was it that brought you to law enforcement? Was it a person, a television program, or you had some mentor along the way? Just curious to know what bug bit Jason Armstrong to become a police officer. Yeah, so I, I get this question a lot, and I have a very unconventional answer. I'm one of the, the few people in law enforcement that can honestly say that I, I got into it for the money. And, and what I mean by that, when I was in college at North Carolina Central University, I learned of a program that the federal government, the Department of Justice, um, had recently started. Um, this was back in, in the late 90s, early 2000s. 
And that program is called the Police Corps. And, and how that program was set up is, is if you agreed to be a police officer for four years, it was a four-year commitment, a four-year contract, uh, the federal government would give you back up to $30,000 that you had already spent on college. Um, and the reason that they started this program under uh, President uh, Bush, W. Bush, was because they they saw you know the challenges that they were seeing in law enforcement, in particular with minority communities or communities that had high crime. And and one of the things that they were trying to to do more of was recruit more college graduates to get into the profession. Uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, you didn't see a lot of you know people coming straight out of college and going into the profession. You know, a big part of the transition into law enforcement um, was recruiting and coming from the military. And so they were they were trying to just try some new things to to get you know some some new people into the profession. And I got accepted in, into that program, um, largely you know with the money that that I was going to be getting back that I had already spent on college. And so that was that was the biggest motivator for me to to get into the profession of law enforcement. Um, I didn't expect to to stay in in municipal policing uh, this entire time. You know, my original goal was to just do my four years and then take my four years of experience uh, and transition and, and join the FBI. Um, and so that was heavily influenced by TV shows and, and the things, you know, that were marketed, you know, to, to people that that was the cool place to be. But once I got into the profession um, and working in, in municipal law enforcement, you know, I really found my, my knack in that space and, and I really saw that I was needed in that space. And, and that's really what fueled me to to stay in local government as opposed to, to trying to, to transition to the federal uh, to a federal agency. I can honestly say in, in my 40 plus years of association in law enforcement, I've never heard one say I got into it for the money. Sometimes we just don't know when we take that first step where our careers will lead us. So that kind of transitions us to my next question. As a law enforcement leader who is also an African-American, have you ever felt any additional pressures, either internally or externally? Absolutely. Um, both, both internally and, and externally. Um, you know, internally, I, I'll start with, now I'll give you an example. Um, one of the things that, you know, has been present for me, you know, throughout my career is, is one, you know, just the sense that I, I had to, to work harder um, and outwork, you know, all of the other individuals that I was, I was up against for positions. Like I said earlier, you know, when I started with the Forest Park Police Department, the rank of sergeant was the highest position um, that any uh, African-American had ever held in that organization. And this was in 2001 in Metro Atlanta. We boarded Atlanta. So, you know, we're talking Metro Atlanta in 2001. The sergeant was the highest rank. And so, you know, I, I made it a mission and a goal of mine to become the first, you know, to become a lieutenant, to become a captain and, and climb the ranks. And, and I remember, you know, I, I achieved lieutenant position. And then um, after that, when I was up for captain, uh, I was having a conversation uh, with, with a, a buddy of mine in the department uh, who was a white male. And we were talking about the pending, you know, captain process. And so this department has never had uh, a black captain. And, and this was a friend of mine. So was, this was not, you know, an uh, enemy or anything like that. This was a friend of mine. And so there was, you know, he wasn't trying to be disrespectful in what he said. But his comment to me was, they have to promote you to captain because you're black and they've never had a black captain. And, and, and this was a friend telling me this. Uh, and, and really, you know, the takeaway that I have from that and just largely, you know, what my experience has been throughout my career is, you know, some of the things that I've achieved, you know, individuals have put an asterisk beside it as if, you know, I didn't have the experience and I didn't have the resume that I have. 
and my race was the reason that I achieved what I achieved as opposed to me being, you know, qualified, more than qualified and, and, and outshining the individuals that I was up against, you know, in the processes that I had to go through to achieve the positions that I achieved. Um, and so those are just some of the things that you that you deal with in, in the profession. Um, and, and some of the things that you have to, to be mindful of that some people are going to look at you that way. Um, and, and that has been consistent, you know, in, in my journey, especially as I've climbed the ranks to, to get, you know, higher positions and becoming a police chief in multiple agencies now. You know, sometimes you, you get met with that, that, well, you know, of course, you know, Ferguson, you know, they had all of this unrest that unfolded after Mike Brown incident and there was a white police chief in there at that time. So, of course, they're only going to hire a black a black police chief to come in after that happened. Here in Apex, coming in on the heels of a cultural assessment um, and being the first black chief in the history, uh, the 150 year history of the, the town of Apex. You know, well, of course, they're going to bring a black chief, a black police chief in here, you know, after having, uh, you know, racial bias issues go public from that department. And so, you know, it becomes more about that or that's the first thing that people, you know, will attach to. Instead of looking at my resume and all of my accomplishments and, and, and stacking that up against anybody, you know, who, who will go after these positions. You know, externally, there are a lot of pressures also, especially when you become the first to, to do something. And, and, you know, just what that represents for a lot of people in, in your communities and, and the expectations that they put on you, sometimes unfairly. Uh, and so being a minority police chief, you know, some people look at that is is that all right, so my only role and, and my only uh, objective is to to make decisions that, you know, only impact or positively impact minorities or black people where, you know, that's not how decisions are made. I'm the police chief for everybody in my community that I serve, regardless of what they look like. And so sometimes you take on additional, you know, challenges and additional pressures when you make a decision that people disagree with. And then it's like, oh, well, we thought you were going to make decisions like this because you're a minority chief or you're a black chief. No, I have to make decisions that are in line with the Constitution. I have to make decisions that align with our policies and procedures and what we're trying to accomplish as an organization. Um, and so sometimes, you know, you, you deal with that and, and, and you're never going to make everybody happy. You're never going to be able to live up to everybody's expectations of what they think you can do. And you just have to be comfortable and, and confident in, in, in what you're doing and, and know that you're, you're always trying to, to do the right thing and, and have a positive impact on people. You touched on my next question a little bit, and it's about challenges. Obviously, there was a challenge going in to lead a law enforcement agency in Ferguson, Missouri, after what had happened there. And then, of course, most folks in North Carolina are familiar with some cultural issues that took place in Apex. So you leave one hotbed and come into another one. My question is, what are some of the challenges that you have had in your career? And more specifically, do you believe any of those were related to your race? So, you know, when I look at the the challenges that I faced and, and largely, you know, looking at it from, uh, you know, sitting in the chief seat or, you know, high up in, in organizations and being in, in leadership, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that the challenges that I faced, I would say were, were race related. I would say some of those challenges have been enhanced because uh, of my race. And so I'll give you an example, you know, being in Ferguson. Um, you know, Ferguson is known for, for protests and, and, and unrest. And, you know, that, that wasn't any different when I got there. I got to Ferguson right before the five-year anniversary of Mike Brown's death. And, and so, you know, at that anniversary, there were protests um, that, that went on. And, and so when you have those protests and some of the, the people, some of the individuals that come out for that, some of the agitators, 
you know, sometimes they lock in and they look for the minority officers that are standing out there or the black officers that are standing out there. And those are the individuals that they verbally attack and verbally abuse, you know, for being out there and calling you an Uncle Tom and a traitor and you're a disgrace to your race. How could you wear that uniform? And so, you know, those are some of the attacks that you face, uh, verbal attacks, um, you know, because of of, of your race uh, at times to where people look at you as as a traitor um, because of their experience or just their outlook and, and how they feel about uh, um, policing. But by and large, you know, the, the challenges that I face, you know, being a police chief, the, the number one thing, uh, the number one thing that contributes to your challenges are people. You know, you deal with a lot of people problems and, and the people problems that I deal with on a daily basis. Um, I wouldn't say that that my race is is uh, contributing to that. That's just the responsibility um, of what comes with being a police chief and being a, a leader of an organization. Um, and, and you're always going to have challenges to deal with. Rarely does anybody come to my office and say, Chief, hey, you know, hope you have a good day and, and everything is going great. They always come to my office because there's a problem or there's something going on that, you know, they need my input and my guidance on. And so, you know, the challenges that, you know, that we face and, and that I face on a regular, I, I wouldn't attach that to being race related. I want to go a little more broad spectrum with you. We all remember the 2020 in-custody death of George Floyd, and obviously it fueled racial and social justice movements in our country. Did you experience any protest in your jurisdiction? And if there were, how did you handle those? If not, can you pinpoint why you believe there were none? So, yes, unfortunately, um, you know, I dealt with way beyond protests. I dealt with rioting and, and unrest and uh, violent attacks on law enforcement. Um, so in 2020, when George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis, I was the police chief in Ferguson, Missouri. And, and Ferguson, Missouri is, is ground zero for the Black Lives Matter movement um, following the, the death of Mike Brown um, at, the, at the hands of uh, Darren Wilson, who was an officer with the Ferguson Police Department. And so, you know, immediately following George Floyd's uh, murder, we, you know, we started having individuals come out to, to protest. And, and so the first the first few days were, were very peaceful. You know, every day um, I would take some time to, to go out and, and they were protesting across the street from the police department um, and just go out there and just, you know, walk amongst the people out there, you know, try to have some conversations with, with individuals if they were open to it. Um, and, and, and just, you know, just just have an open dialogue with individuals. Um, the Saturday following his death, there was a, a large protest scheduled. Um, to be at the police department. And so we we knew that there were gonna be a lot of people uh, to come out for this one. Um, and so we started making plans and preparation um, for the potential for, for things to escalate from a peaceful protest to an unlawful assembly and, and, and potentially, you know, to rioting. And, and unfortunately, that's what happened. You know, the individuals that came out there for the first several hours of their protests, and, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people out there and, you know, my officers were out there. I was out there amongst the crowd and just, you know, once again, talking with people and, and trying to have conversations with them. But and and by and large, the people that initially came out there um, during the daytime while it was still light, there was no violence. Um, you know, there was a lot of anger and a lot of frustration, understandably so, for what we all witnessed uh, on that video of, of Mr. Floyd being killed. Um, but but there were some individuals that came out that that were intent on violence. And as nighttime ensued, uh, there was a different element to the crowd. There were different people out in the crowd. And and some individuals that came out there that night, they were intent on burning down the police department. 
And so unfortunately, we experienced a severe attack uh, on our officers and and on on our building. You know, it started with a commercial grade firework explosive that they threw to a group of officers that was standing in front of the police department. So that explosion uh, dispersed my officers that were out there and then uh, people bum rushed the building with bats and and crowbars or metal pipes and things. And they bust out all the windows of the police department real quick. Then they retreated and and then just with so many people, with hundreds and hundreds of people being out there, they use, you know, the protection of, of protesters who were not engaged in criminal activity uh, to launch their assault on not only uh, the officers that were out there, but the building itself and, and started launching, you know, some of those more commercial grade uh, fireworks through the windows, trying to set the building on fire to burn it down. And so just to say that that that, that night, um, was 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 something that I had never experienced and and I pray to God that I never experience again. Um, it was just hours and hours and hours of just an all-out fight. Um, and and I've never been in the military and I, I respect our military with the utmost respect. I've never been to war, but it felt like I was at a war zone with the constant explosions and then you have people shooting guns at the officers at the building. Uh, luckily, nobody uh, was seriously hurt, although we did have a lot of officers that were hurt that night. I would say that was that was one of my most challenging um, challenging things that I have had to experience and and had to lead people through. The fighting that first night ended about three o'clock in the morning, and so I have all my officers in the room, and and we just experienced just utter chaos and and just I mean just just a a difficult situation to to experience and to live through. And and have to go into a room in front of you know in front of the officers that work with you and find the words of encouragement when you when there are no words um, is is really a challenge because we knew the next night we were going to have to do the same thing all over again and the next night they came out in, in full force again um, and we had a, a similar night uh, the second night that we did the first night and so you know that that part is is unfortunate where. You know, the men and women that were um, the victims uh, of that that violent assault and attack uh, from those individuals. And, and like I said, it wasn't everybody in that crowd that came out for violence. But unfortunately, there was enough people in that crowd that came out for violence that that really, you know, had a, a, a impact uh, on us. And, and none of those officers out there, you know, hurt Mr. Floyd. Uh, none of those officers were involved in anything that contributed to his death. But because of how law enforcement is looked at, um, when we had one of these incidents happen and how we're all put into that same category, you know, my officers, you know, had to defend themselves, you know, from from that level of violent assault where you got assault rifles that are being shot, you know, from the color of darkness at the building, at officers and things like that. Um, and, and it's unfortunate when we see that unfold um, in, in this country to where those men and women, you know, did not did not harm that man. Um, and, and they did not deserve that. Um, but unfortunately, that that was the level of violence that we experienced in Ferguson after Mr. Floyd was killed. Well, you noted that you might not have had served in the armed forces. You were certainly the general during those periods, however. People are looking for your guidance and leadership, and you provided that. And I would personally just like to say thank you for that level of service and leadership during a very, very intense time. As we kind of wind things down, you mentioned some verbal assaults you faced in Ferguson. I think this is true of all leaders, no matter where you are in law enforcement or CEO of a large corporation, all leaders face some periodic criticism. Do you believe that some of your critics are a bit more harsh because of your race? Um, that's hard for me to say. 
when I think about the criticisms that I face, you know, I wouldn't necessarily put it on race. I would I would say it's probably more political than than anything else. You know, the, the reason that I was brought into Ferguson um, to lead that, that organization was because Ferguson is under a consent decree. And what a consent decree is, is is when you have a high profile incident involving police, like what happened with Mike Brown or George Floyd or what we're seeing um, with Tyree Nichols in Memphis, the Department of Justice, you know, will assign a team to come in and investigate your organization. And, and typically what happens, you know, they do a deep dive in your organization. And so they highlight just all of the, the issues and the problems um, that they that they can find for your organization. Uh, which ultimately leads that that police department being put under a consent decree or pretty much under federal oversight to overhaul whatever issues the Department of Justice found. And so when we talk about reform and policing reform in this country, it doesn't get um, doesn't get any bigger or or any grander than being under a consent decree and the reforms that the Department of Justice puts on a police department. Um, and and so, you know, I was brought in there because just of, of my view in law enforcement and my willingness to do things differently and, and not go with the status quo uh, of what we've seen in the profession and to be more open um, with how we go about, you know, policing our communities and involving our communities and, and how, you know, we police and how we serve them. And so, you know, that that is that's a challenge in, in law enforcement. And, and you know, a lot of people in the profession or a lot of supporters in law enforcement feel as though that that reforms are, are unrealistic at times or that reforms are not needed or, you know, for political reasons they're being done or, you know, because the media is reporting on things a, a certain kind of way. And the things that, you know, from a reform lens that we may implement, that we may um you know, institute in, in an organization, you know, are sometimes not favorable or people don't understand the why behind it or the complete why behind it. Um, and, and so I would say that's the bulk of the criticisms that I get is, is, is and, I, and I wouldn't put that on, on my race. Um, I would put that on, you know, my outlook of, of policing and, and being one of the few chiefs in the country that know what that experience is and how it works of being under a consent decree you know, my main mission and objective is to make sure that that no agency I lead ever again will find themselves in a position to be under a consent decree, you know, if something should happen in the Department of Justice to come after us. And, and that's really what I try to preach to, to my staff and to my officers here in, in Apex, where when they don't understand the why behind some of the things that we're doing and trying to explain to them how this helps them and how it will protect them. Um, from from making some of the mistakes that we've seen, you know, happen in some of these other jurisdictions or some of the actions that go unaccounted for or individuals are not held accountable for their actions. And and it's, you know, trying to, to get us in a position to where, I mean, we're providing the greatest service that we can possibly provide, you know, for the community members and, and, the, mem and the visitors that we have here to, to Apex. And, and so sometimes that's the challenge. Um, you know, one thing about police officers is they hate change and they hate things not changing. Um, and so, you know, when you're going through change, you know, there, there's always a, a challenge and there's always criticism that you face as the police chief for the decisions that you make. But in my experience, I, I would say, you know, my criticisms are, are more related or associated with decisions that I make. And, and you know, I, I couldn't say, you know, it hasn't gotten back to me or I haven't felt necessarily that it's, it's, it's directly associated to what my race is. 
Well, that was a bit of a psychoanalytical question to begin with, so I'll ask you to put that one away and bring out your crystal ball. From your perspective as a law enforcement leader, what does the future of law enforcement look like? Kirk, that's a that's a very hard question to answer. Um, and the reason that it's so hard to answer is because the pendulum swings so far from one side to the other so often. So right now with Tyree Nichols' death and, and murder um, that, that we just had in Memphis, and so now all of the focus um, from everybody in the country is on police reforms once again. And how does this happen? And and you know what laws can we put in put into place to prevent this from happening? Um, and so similar to what happened after George Floyd was killed, um, you know I, I did an interview the other day, and and me and Ben Crump were interviewed by the same reporter. And so I, you know I hear that Mr. Crump, they are are petitioning the president to bring back the the George Floyd Act um, that um, was presented after Mr. Floyd was killed. And and so so that's that's where the momentum is right now. That's where all the energy and the effort is in right now. Where if we just backtrack just a little bit to last year, after we saw what happened uh, at that uh, grocery store shooting in Buffalo, after we saw what happened at that school shooting in Uvalde, then the pendulum swung to, man, how can we better equip law enforcement to come in and deal with these challenging things that we see going on in communities? How can we protect the, the children better? where we don't have officers standing out in the hallway while kids are inside a classroom with a gunman and, and the kids are being killed. And, and so, you know, so those are two very different issues, you know, that as law enforcement, we have to deal with both of them and we have to be ready and equipped to handle and, and address, you know, both of them. But the, the political nature that these things take on, where as law enforcement, as a police chief, I don't make any of the laws. And 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 I don't I don't know what's going to come out of a legislative session and, and what laws they're going to put on the books. What we have to do is whatever laws are enacted, man, we have to learn them, we have to research them, and we have to make sure that we abide by them. And so when we talk about, you know, what's going to what is policing going to look like in the future, you know, it's hard to say because the the 20 plus years that I've been doing this, you know, all I do is see the pendulum swing back and forth. And and I don't see enough people stepping up and, and standing in the middle trying to, to to work with everybody. You know, people, when we talk about politicians, people from other sides of the aisle, when we talk about communities, are we hearing from everybody in the community? So not just the people that support the police in the community. Are you hearing from the people that don't support the police in the community? And what do they have to say? And so it's about bringing everybody to the table um, for us to figure out, like, what what is needed in our communities and what will work best in our communities. And, you know, my, my fear as a law enforcement leader and what a lot of law enforcement leaders fear is when these things happen, that, you know, there are knee-jerk reactions to, to put things in place. We're not looking at what are the, some of the unintended consequences that could be lurking right around the corner um, if these things are put into place, if we don't bring everybody to the table to make these decisions. I got a call just last night from a local police chief asking me, you know, if I'd heard about some legislation that was being talked about being put forth here in North Carolina, where before this weekend, I'd never heard anything about that legislation. But now after this incident, you know, all right, man, now do we have individuals that are looking to take advantage of this to get something put in place that they that they wanted to see where there may have been some some logical reasons as to why some of these things were not put in place previously. And 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 so it, it's it's always that constant back and forth. 
one thing that we have to ensure, one thing that we have to make sure of as law enforcement leaders, that our profession, you know, remains noble and we and we we stay committed to to why we got into profession, why we stay in this profession and, and why we do the work that we do. And, and at the end of the day, that's in service of others. And and that that's what I focus on, you know, regardless of, of what laws are enacted um, at the federal level, at the state level, even at the local level. Like like none of that stuff, you know, really matters to me because I understand that I don't control that. What I can control is how me and my staff go out every day and provide the service for the people in this community and that we do that with the utmost respect and the utmost professionalism, regardless of, of what we're facing. And I think that has to be the message, you know, that we send, you know, to our departments and agencies around the country is, you know, we can't get caught up in a political storm um, because that pendulum is always going to swing back and forth. We have to be focused on doing the work in the middle and, and identifying community partners and community stakeholders that can help us do that work in the middle to make sure that that we're doing what's best for the communities that that we serve. Um, and so, you know, I, I really think that that's that's what our focus is going to have to be in law enforcement, because this is is one of, if not the most politicized profession that we have in this country. And and knowing that and understanding that and, and living that, you know, for the the decades that I've been in a profession. Uh, we can't get caught up in in that because we we don't have you know uh, much control over that, um, and so we we have to find the partners here locally for us to work with um, to make sure that you know what we're doing is what's needed, um, and and we're meeting the expectations of the community that we serve, everybody in the community that we serve. Chief, that was an extremely courageous conversation. Thank you for your time today, and most of all, thank you for your service to the citizens of Apex. Clearly, when the chief job came open there, it sounds like they made the right choice. No, thank you, Kirk. Jason Armstrong is the chief of police at the Apex Police Department and has been in law enforcement for more than 20 years, having served as the chief in Ferguson, Missouri, as well as a lengthy law enforcement career prior to that. This concludes this episode of NCJA 1014. Until our next episode, please stay safe. Coming up next time on NCJA 1014. Let's talk about some of the topics that are covered in the telecommunication certification course. We have nine blocks of instruction and the new material coming out. The first one, just like every other commission course, is about orientation. Orientation is not specifically about telecommunicator duties, but it is about the Share Standards Division, how you get your certification, how you keep it, how you maintain it throughout your career so you can be a successful telecommunicator for many years. As far as who is able to attend the course, any telecommunicator who dispatches for a law enforcement agency. Now, if you dispatch for law enforcement, medical and fire, that's absolutely fine. Everybody's welcome. The curriculum is based largely on law enforcement responsibilities.